Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Season two of the Black Tech Green Money podcast is brought to you by Lexus. With connected tech, Lexus Safety System Plus 2.5, and luxuriously appointed cabin, the new Lexus IS is all in on style and performance. See how when you experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Deshaun Amir, CEO and founder at Maven, a technology company that's reshaping salon retail distribution, is talking with our crew about the challenges of being a founder and being a black founder. He drops some free game that more of us should add to our mental rotation. I think the biggest fear everybody has um, when deciding to take a leap of faith is that you're going to fall and that you're going to fail. Um, you know, fortunately for me, the fear of failure um, was not more strong or more powerful than my desire to win. Um, and, um, you know, I think to be an entrepreneur, you have to live with the fact that you could fail and you have to be okay with that. And you have to also know in your mind that if you did fail, you would just get back up again. My advice for black founders is really the same, the same advice for any founder. Um, stay focused on your mission um, and do not give up. You need to learn, but do not give up. And you know, once you decide that you're gonna commit certain number of years of your life to this thing, you just have to keep going if you believe in it. Um, and, and, that, and that also means that you can't get caught up in your head about things that uh, may be barriers for you, right? So a lot of black founders, you know, I talk to them, I tell them, you have to stop thinking of yourself as a black founder. You're a founder. And yes, you're black, and that's gonna mean something. And certain people are gonna try to get in your way, but that's just one of 10 million things that's gonna get in your way as an entrepreneur. That's what you have to wake up with every single day is shit in your way. So, um, you know, I would just say, yeah, the dedication and not giving up. I'm Will Lucas, this is Black Tech, Green Money. I'm gonna introduce you to some of the biggest names, some of the brightest minds and brilliant ideas. If you're black in building or simply using tech to secure your bag, this podcast is for you. Nash Ahmed is a serial entrepreneur and founder and CEO at Undock, an AI meeting platform built for the future of work. He recently raised a $1.6 million seed round to put some fuel in the tank to grow the business. I asked Nash about how, previous to Undock, he found himself running multiple small businesses at once, and how running those small businesses led him to Undock. 
yeah, the second wave of multiple businesses was running into, because they're all tangentially related. So I was in the telecommunications industry and there'd be an opportunity. I'm like, well, this business doesn't do it, but it looks easy enough. <laughs> looks like there's a lot of money in this. So uh, yeah, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. And I ended up starting two uh, businesses. Uh, one was a voice over IP company and the other was an infrastructure company. So literally installing the fiber optic cable that runs to your house. Um, you believe, as I've read, uh, in the concept of shipping fast and yes. getting getting your thing out into the wild as quickly as possible. And, and how 100%. important how important has been, has building in the public eye, you know, making mistakes in public, you know, and iterating in full view been to the success you've achieved so far? It's the best forcing function you could have, especially for someone like me who has two major problems with giving things to the world that you're building. I uh, procrastinate and I'm a perfectionist, hmm. right? So that gives me every reason to say, this is not ready for consumption yet. So I have songs that I've made 10 years ago or started 10 years ago. And I'm like, nah, that trumpet is not hitting. Yeah. Do it again, <laughs> do it again. Find another person to play this melody. Like, so doing something in public with like public deadlines is huge for me. I've started doing that. You'll see we, we had an event November 12th. We're having another event uh, February 17th. We're having another event uh, May 12th. So whatever I'm planning, it's going to happen and it has to happen because it's out in the, in the public eye. So it's a very good forcing function for me to make sure that I keep building and delivering and not waiting for perfection. So, so you encourage people to, even if they haven't, you know, told the world the whole thing, Right. Put it out. Which that, I have not. That something is happening on this date. Yes, I've I've only given uh, tidbits of the the big picture uh, publicly, but like I said, I'm I'm calling it progressive disclosure of what the startup uh, fully is. So I encourage just even if you start with your your friends and your family, just tell them like, hey, I'm working on this. So the next time you speak, you're going to say, hey, Will. How's that thing you're working on going? And yeah. that's just more motivation to to put it out there for sure. Do you think that's just for people who have, you know, this idea that it's got to be perfect? Or do you do you encourage anybody, you know, whether or not they well, they go on 100 miles an hour, 1000 miles an hour, or if they're just afraid to put it out? Who do you think? Who do you advise that to? Well, I'll tell you, your idea is definitely not going to be perfect. There's a high likelihood that your idea is going to be wrong and you're going to end up building something else. So that's why you kind of have to just get started. But if you're a person that has a lot of ideas, like I did, at least spend a little bit of time filtering through those ideas and putting some logic and reasoning behind why you think this idea of yours is better than the next idea. There is no excuse to ever work on an idea that isn't your best idea. If you don't think it's your best idea, if you don't think it's your biggest idea, if you don't think it's your, your thing that's going to get you widespread impact, don't work on that one. Mm. Go work on your best idea, period. And that's what I did. It took me almost a year talking about procrastination and perfectionness to select which startup I actually wanted to work on. And then when I narrowed it down to two, I launched them or I registered them both and was planning to work on them simultaneously until I could make a decision. See, I have that like crippling disorder where I, yeah. I just like, yeah. But I, I, I selected Undock and... uh it was the right decision for sure. I want to dig in on that because, you know, I think that's a really, really good piece of advice and you know, to only work on your best idea. And so I would imagine there's like two groups of people. There's people who have they know what that best idea and there's people who are trying to figure out what that best idea is. Um, and for those ones that are trying to figure out, I would imagine you would say, well, do, work on things like you did until you figure out which one is the best idea. How do you know? when it's the best idea is because you came up with, Oh, this is the, this is the one I want to do or the market told you. Right. Uh, it, it can be either or sometimes you have to do have to go with your gut. Uh, but for me, it was a lot of, it was almost 50 different ideas and websites that I had started. And for me, it was which one do I genuinely think can have the biggest impact, the biggest distribution, and then the biggest you know financial outcome, uh, for myself, and also one that I was excited to work on. It was a big problem for myself, and it was on the back burner for quite some time. 
and then I'm literally living the experience where like I need to solve this problem that I have and nothing else exists. Mm -hmm. That was a moment for me that was like, okay, I need to build something and I've already had this idea and now I'm going to execute on that. So yeah, not all of your ideas are good. So I can easily look back at a third of those ideas and say they were holy trash right now. Is this because you you found out later they were trash? How did you go through that yeah. process distance. of distance? So uh, recency bias is uh, something that you deal with in uh, data, but it's also something you deal with with yourself. This that moment, that initial inciting moment that you come up with any idea, you're like, yeah, that sounds good. Revisit that idea in six months, see if you're like. Okay, I mean, it's cool, I guess, or maybe somebody might do it. But uh, yeah, giving it some time to uh, marinate is very important. Um, talk about the process of building a startup, not specifically Undock, but period, step by step. Because I, I, if I understand um, what your opportunity was with Undock was, you know, cal calendar synchronization is just the first step in a right. master plan, I would imagine. Right. Correct. And I read a story about where you come out, you came out the gate thinking you could replace all the big boys like Gmail, Slack, yeah. you know, Zoom, Trello, you know, immediately. And But how important is it for startups to take out chunks on their journey? And as they do the smaller things, well, scale from there. I, I think that's huge. That's one of the biggest lessons that I learned because I was stubborn in the beginning. I was like, no, I no, I, I, I know I can build this huge platform that's going to be better than all of them. And one investor reached out to me and was interested and they said, but you're competing with X, Y, Z before you've even released your product. It's like, do you know how much money you're going to need? Like, this doesn't sound realistic. And I didn't believe him then. I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It took me a good six to, to nine months before I started to pare down uh, the short term scope of the product. And you're just you're just limited in, in capital. You're limited in engineering resources. You're limited in time. Uh, you're limited in how well you can solve more than one problem. Like calendaring and scheduling is such a deep, deep nuanced problem that I could spend the next 10 years if I wanted to building the best scheduling or calendar application if I thought that was the, the most valuable thing. So uh, it's really, really tough. And this is another thing where if you take a step back from it, so if I would have started and said, hey, here's my big idea and then started working on it, just take a step back for like a week and talk about the, the realities of building this giant monolithic app. It wasn't going to happen out of the gate. It was going to take a long, 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 long time. And if I would have actually made that decision to pare it down even three months sooner, two months sooner, a month sooner i could be a month two months three months five months six months further along so definitely definitely recommend that still building a really big application um but not quite as big just yet if you're looking for the most epic place on earth let's start at the base of a massive waterfall then trek through the thick jungle then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop then once you get there Keep going, because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale one million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me 
was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the One Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Wallbrook, we hear inspiring rags to riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So how do you advise other entrepreneurs and even yourself looking back in, in, in that discipline? Because I would imagine you think, well, if I just build this little nugget, like it, what, how does that make progress in the marketplace when people have all these other options? Yeah. For me, it was definitely just like pure hubris thinking I got this. No, no. And I'm hearing from multiple people just like, hey, just just shrink it a little bit. I was doing email. Email is so, so, so hard to build. And there are companies that are have spent like superhumans are really good email application. They've been building it for five, six, seven years, and they're still improving just email. Um, for, for me, I guess I probably wouldn't assume most people are just overly confident in their ability to build something like that they just might think it's a really good idea and someone should do it and you see that a lot like the all-in-one solution is like the first thing uh founders gravitate to because like oh i have all these problems what if i build one thing that solves all these problems and that's usually going to be the wrong solution um one thing i love um that i've i've read that you've said before is you know entrepreneurs need to learn how to talk about their business right Mm -hmm. and um and that there's a difference between talk how you talk about your business at a bootstrapping stage um Mm -hmm. and versus when you're at a fundraising stage and so let's take this step by step so how how can entrepreneurs at the bootstrapping stage and even those who don't plan to raise maybe they're building a lifestyle company um how can they learn to introduce their product or their company to other people who have no idea what they're doing yeah i'm actually going through a, a third phase and i'm i'm I don't want to say recalculating. I am studying this phase and learning so I can uh, put it down in writing and repeat it later down the line. I'll, I'll get into that in a second. But the first thing I think you need to do is have, and I say this to a lot of founders that I meet with, is have something really exciting about what you're building. Even if it's like a sock company or something, have something really, really exciting for you. Uh, an exciting way to tell it to your your friends, an exciting way to tell it to potential customers. It has to be. There's so much noise out there in the world that if your thing isn't exciting, it's never going to take off. So find something exciting about your your business. Uh, I spent a lot of time in my accelerator working on a one line description of the company, and that that like hurts sometimes. Like, but no, I can't just say all of it in one line. But find something exciting about your business that you can iterate in one line. You can message somebody and say, hey, this is what I'm building. And they're like, oh, really, really, really cool. So that's like the first hurdle. Like, is it something that's exciting for people? And that doesn't always play. Like if you're a climate tech company, that's only going to excite a certain number of people. But if you're building a consumer app or a B2B app, something has to be exciting about uh, what you're building in the, in the early bootstrapping phase. It helps you stay positive about your idea. It helps you attract interest from customers and helps you recruit employees too. I had the easiest time recruiting. I still have a pretty easy time recruiting when we talk about what we're building. Um, So I think that's really important. But when you move into the 
the fundraising stage. Before you get it's, before you get there, sorry, so yeah, let's talk about let's talk because it's really interesting when you said you know you spent you know a lot of time just working on one sentence at so, least six weeks. Wow. And it changed and it fluctuated and the times you get frustrated and you're like, why am I doing this? I think after week three, I'm, I was like, I'm not changing this sentence again. Like, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. And ultimately, that one sentence wasn't what turned into business excitement or fundraising or other stuff. But it was able it was giving you an opportunity to, to, to distill what you're working on. If you cannot distill it in one sentence, it's going to be very hard to get people excited. So is that and I would imagine then it's every word matters. When you're, yes. when you're down to one sentence. Yes, we learned uh, better, fewer words mm. right? and try to roll some excitement. So actually don't even use the line anymore, but it was a line that worked over and over and Do you over remember the again. line? Yeah, it was instantly schedule meetings without ever looking at a calendar, right? And mm. then just wrinkles people's brain like, what do you, wait, how? Instant meeting schedule with no calendar? Tell me more. Every single time. And I was in a cohort with 12 other companies. And when I would give that line, regardless of the audience, room full of investors, potential customers, partners, all the questions, not all, some of the questions, a good chunk of the questions would come to me because it piqued their interest. Like, this is a problem. You stated what the problem was. You told me how fast you're going to do it. And then you gave me this novel way that's just like wrinkling my brain. And I don't like quite understand. I need to figure out what what is this? What is this? And I use that over and over and over and over and over and over again. And I, I did use it like in my uh, demo uh, investor pitch, like as a one liner to start it. And I also used it in our, our launch thing. But from like month four to month seven, eight, nine, ten, didn't use it at all. But it was like the starting point, it's the kindling. Yeah. Right? And I can always refer back to that, too. And, and did that one line, that six weeks that you spent on that one line, where, how much progress did you make? Like, did you raise your first dollar with that? Like, where did it get you? No, did not raise the first dollar. Um, it got me a lot of places because the way I was talking about the business going into the accelerator was, was not great. It was not great. And I was trying to fit a mouthful in and, and say to this, 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 um, it gave me uh again like good framing and good confidence when i delivered that line and it was the lead-in for my investment so when we started doing our presentations to investors and we had a, a demo day like that was the like the thing that people remembered about that well two lines that people remembered uh, about uh the presentation so i think it put me in a really good place going into the investment and if everybody anybody asked you know what is it you're working on? Which is a common question you get. It's also like uh, an accelerator question. They say, what are you working on? And they always want a one sentence answer. That's the answer you give. And so how, how much would you estimate that most opportunities are lost? Cause people don't spend that time working on that distillation. Oh, you're, you're, you're losing 90% of people, even just from like the fact that they're no longer going to pay attention to whatever it is coming out of your mouth after that. It's, it's like eyes glazing over, not interested and there's some people and this is again i was one of those people that you'll ask for like hey what is it you're working on and then their only answer they can give you is like a five minute answer i actually said this for probably a good six to nine months when i started the business i was like i can't explain what i'm working on in a couple sentences but if you give me an hour i guarantee <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna want to use the product and invest and they're like yeah, but you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not getting an hour here. So um, it's very, it's very, very, very important. It'll change. It'll evolve. It doesn't necessarily matter if that's the one right sentence, but the fact that you're able to distill what you do and make it exciting and interesting in one sentence, you can use that over and over and over. And that's what the accelerator made us do. So whenever we met a new mentor, new potential partner, customer, or investor, like that was the line. And that, that was the line that was critiqued. So by the end of it, Anybody that came in for critiquing just said, yeah, that's good. I'm interested. Tell me more. And that's all you want. Your goal of telling people what your business is or what you're doing is for them to say, tell me more. Love that. 100%. Okay. What's different than about the raising stage about how you talk about your business? It starts with that ability. And that's something that investors will look at if you have the ability to you know, succinctly distill what you're working on. 
but the conversation with investors is not the conversation you have with your friends and your family. It's not the conversation that you eventually ultimately have with customers or already having with customers. They want to know about potential scale, right? They want to know about differentiation in the market. They want to know about your go-to-market and they want to know that you have deep, 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 deep product insights and know about your industry. And it's not about like listing off a bunch of facts that you read online. It's having a deep, deep, deep understanding of that. And that's one thing, but then you have to learn how to convey that to investors. So we had our first two weeks of meetings with investors and it was like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. Not for us right now. Not for us right now. And we almost considered like backing the truck up and waiting a few months to fundraise. Just kept getting at uh, going after it, getting better, refining. We would have like game day breakdowns of our investor calls after the call happened. Like, okay, that answer was terrible. That answer was really long. That answer was irrelevant. That answer was not compelling. You have to be that real with yourself every single time for as long until you start to get that interest, until those conversations start to go well. And that's what we were doing. Breakdown. If you had a 20 minute call or an hour long call, even if the call went great and they said they were interested or if they're like, let it keep us in a loop, same thing. Break it down. What went well, what didn't go well. Some people suggest even writing down all the questions that you had, recording all the answers, listening back to that. I didn't do it you know, that deeply. I have a pretty good uh, memory and I'm, I'm brutal with myself. Like I'll get off a call and an investor will like smile or say, okay, cool. I get that to an answer. I'll say, that was a terrible answer. That was a terrible, terrible, terrible answer. You have to be that real with yourself. spot but not just a spot the spot actually with the 2023 nissan frontier you know a bunch of them but the key to these great spots being able to reach them in the first place your spot is out there find your frontier and the 2023 nissan frontier with standard 310 horsepower advanced tech and 281 pound feet of torque Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Season two of the Black Tech Green Money podcast is brought to you by Lexus and the new Lexus IS. With an available track-tuned V6 engine and responsive handling, the new IS went all in to deliver you style and performance. See how when you experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. You rarely get moments like these when you're building something and the world changes overnight. 
accelerating years into the future you imagined when you thought up the idea. So what's it like to be building for the future and you find suddenly the future is now? Nash speaks on it. It was wild. Like in my pitch deck before I started pitching investors, it was essentially the pitch deck to get into an accelerator. I was talking about the future of remote and distributed work. And I'd say it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> it's on the rise. I know it's a small percentage, but it's coming. And when it gets here, it's here to stay. And I had like charts talking about 2027, <laughs> hey, 2025. And then we go to this accelerator. We come out of the accelerator. We start fundraising. And we're in the middle of a pandemic where everyone is literally forced to work at home. That in and of, of itself is not enough for market change and correction. The reason it's so poignant and important for us is that it's better. It's just flat out better. It's a better and it was an eventuality that we were going to get to at some point. There's a reason some people work from home because it was better for not for everyone, better for them. And I think 80% of knowledge work can be done remotely. So 80% of the maybe not Fortune 500 is not 80% knowledge work, but 80% of knowledge workers will work remotely. That's 50 million people in the United States that can work remotely. That's a third of the workforce right there. But now you're seeing people in other industries figure out how to work remotely. Like you would never think telemedicine could be a huge market. You would never think remote therapy could be a huge market. You would never think yoga would be a huge market online. But now you're discovering that, hey, I can get the same thing yeah. or very similar. Yeah. Maybe even at a better cost, easier distribution for the vendors. And I don't have to leave my house. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That is what's going to happen. That is going to be a large percentage of how work entertainment is consumed and delivered in the future. And it just so happens that we we're building a startup with that in mind. And then the pandemic happened. So how do you, how then do you sell the future or uh, let me put it this way. So is it then pre COVID mm -hmm. you are specifically looking for investors who already get that this is coming in you know, like a freight train, or are you trying to convince people like, look, this is happening. And then you come out with your data and then you got your PowerPoint, right? Oh no, there's, there's definitely convincing. I can tell you, we got into this accelerator. We got investment from this accelerator on the premise that we're building software that's for scheduling meetings and hosting meetings, which is good for anyone, but particularly for remote and distributed teams was our premise, right? Mm, yeah. We heard from people within the accelerator early on before the pandemic, we would bring up the remote aspect and distribute aspect. They would say, I don't buy that. It's a very small segment of the market. I'm like, I know today, right? But just compare the two experiences. It's going to come. It's going to happen in some large percentage. Not 100%, but 50%, 60%. Even if it was 20%, you're talking about taking a market and quadrupling it in the next two years or something. Yeah. Even if it was 20%. Right? It's going to be much, much, much larger than that now that people have experienced it. And I thought it would take 100 years, 100 years to get to the place where it's just normal because it's better and i'm an efficiency guy it's more if i don't have to commute yeah yeah three four days out of the week why right so yeah there were still some so we had people that believed in the product didn't necessarily believe that remote and distributed work was the future or that it was anywhere near close to happen you probably have same skeptics on the you like the self-driving which is proven to be true They'll say, you know, self-driving cars are two to three years away. And then you have a skeptic saying, yeah, you're 10, 15 years away from that being a reality. Mm. And that just keeps happening, keeps happening, keeps happening. And it will keep happening until somebody says, we're going to have a self-driving car in two years. And then uh, detractor is going to say, you won't for 10 years. And then two years later, self-driving cars are on the road. Yeah, yeah. That's what's happening for us right now with remote work. And so what are some of those keys you learned about selling the future to people who might be skeptics early that other people can apply to their journey. I'm still learning and it's a challenge to sell people on things that they either don't believe or have an experience or think it's a far, far, far away future. Right. And I think the going back to building excitement, 
number one is very very important then also give them something that's familiar to them like give, build a bridge to the eventuality of it like right now on my website and i do this intentionally i don't talk about remote work i don't talk about distributed work i talk about you have a problem scheduling meetings yeah. here's a calendar application that's going to help you with that but they don't realize and they will in the next four months when we have our big 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 unveil what part of the movement they're joining but right now for us we do focus on early what we call early innovators uh, sorry innovators and early adopters those yeah. are people that are willing to use this type of product they're using something similar already or they know they have a problem and they're willing to try anything to solve it and you need to focus on that segment for as long as humanly possible so again even if you're selling like socks don't go to miami as your first market and try to convince them that socks uh, help protect your feet for whatever reason because that's not the person you want to talk to go to like minnesota or alaska and sell your socks right shout out to socks companies <laughs>
don't show up to the next meeting with that same bad answer. If you have a meeting at 11 a.m. and you felt you did poorly on a, a answer and you have another meeting at noon, you should already have a new answer yeah. prepared, yeah. right? Uh, a short and I don't do this very well in like pocket. Be very short with your. You don't need to keep explaining. So if your question is like, um, "Why is your product different?" Bullet one, bullet two, bullet three. Next question. All right. Yeah. So just be ready. Be a machine in this, and you will get through it. So I don't want to say that you're um, you're disadvantaged or discounted in any way. You do not have the benefit of the doubt, but you can get that from them by showing up prepared. How did you know 1.6 million was the number you needed? Because did you set out for a rounder number like 1.5 and you got another 100 or you set out for 2 million and you fell short by 400? Like how did 1.6 happen? I started off with 750, 750,000. I was convinced to do a million because I said that's really not enough for what you want to do. But it was and it is more than enough. So I, I set out to raise a million dollars. And after getting to about 900,000 like confirmed it, it was just a snowball and mm -hmm. this was again this was for me in my opinion a factor of showing up prepared and even I started my my first meeting like the last week of May and had a pitch deck I probably changed my pitch deck four or five times in four or five weeks and just kept improving it kept improving it and kept improving it but the answers just got so much better so much sharper that by the time I got to the end of the process, this is just five or six weeks later, I got yeses on almost every single meeting. And I had to turn around to my co-founders and say, hey, now we're telling everybody no. We're like, no, no, I know I set this meeting with you two weeks ago, but yeah, the round closed. It's over. It's done. I only needed a million. I only planned to raise a million. And we ended up getting, I originally stopped at 1.3. So I'm like, this is all we need, more than what we need. But then another investor came in at the last minute. Um, and they, they were interested early on, but they had to reschedule for like two or three weeks later, but we ended up squeezing them in and that's how we got to 1.6. So it was a nice round number looking for 1 million, <laughs> but when you have investors that are super interested in the business, they, that's another thing that if you have the opportunity and you can choose your investors and I said this, which was scary, but I'm like, if you're investing in this business because you think it's a scheduling company and should stay a scheduling company because it could be a billion dollar business, as Calendly has proven by being a scheduling company, you're investing in the wrong founder. I am not building a scheduling only company. And I want people along for the ride, even at the earliest stages that are not going to push back on that. And almost all of our investors stayed true to their yeah, word yeah. on believing in the bigger, bigger, bigger vision. So, um, yeah, that was a very, very interesting time. And the, it just felt bizarre because the tide in the very beginning was, oh, cool. I like what you're working on. Let us know. Keep us in the loop. And the tide after that, uh, towards the end was, can we write a check? Can we write a check? Can we write a check? I have too much money. And then after you have too much money, they're still saying, either existing investors that were in the round three weeks ago for a certain amount saying, can I double that investment? Can I add another check to that investment? And it's a bizarre, I don't know if I'll ever, well, we're experiencing it right now, but after this, I don't know <laughs> if I'll ever feel to be in that comfortable of a position from a fundraising perspective because fundraising is hard and I was fully prepared and had my doubts that we'd be able to raise in six months. I was like, oh, we're going through the typical process. If it takes six months, I'm going to work twice as hard, but it's going to take me six months. And it took, you know, six to eight weeks to get it done. And you, and you attribute that to pounding out the work in the early days of fundraising. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, my, my co-founder even suggested like, let's pause the meetings and pick them up in a couple of months. And I said, no. And I also started taking all the calls by myself. I'm like, maybe he's right. Maybe he's not. So let's not use both of our time for this. And I just hammered it, hammered it, hammered it, and hammered it. You just got, you just, you just got to do it. You got to pound through it. You're gonna, even if you have a successful round and your company is obviously worth every penny that the investors are putting in, you're gonna get a lot of no's. You're going to get, you're gonna get more no's than yeses. Period. Uber got more no's than yeses. Google got more no's than yeses. Jeff yeah. Bezos. Eh, probably not. He probably <laughs> like, how do you know when you're getting those no's that maybe your email needs to 
adjust or maybe this is just a person that's wrong. Like, what are you doing to iterate on your reach out? Well, I didn't have much of a reach out process, but what I did to iterate on the the answers and this like I'm studying like the investors body language this is all video calls. So I'm in, studying their their body language, their eye rolls, their size, the types of questions that they're asking. For instance, I'll give a very specific example. In the beginning, all of our meetings, the entirety of the meeting was about product, 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 product. They couldn't even get off of product. They're like, well, what does it do? Well, how does it work? Well, how's it different from that? Are you sure it's different from that? Do people really care about that? Product, 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 product. I'm like, we're never going to get to investment if all they're doing is talking about this cool tool. They understand the problem so deeply. They're investors. All they do is have meetings. All yeah. they do is schedule meetings. So their understanding of it led them down the path of, all right, let's talk about this product. All right. So I'm like, how can we move off of the product and talk about the vision? later on what we're building talk about the market size the opportunity why now all these things that you need to get an investor on board with before they cut a check so that was the first major problem that we called out right away like we're only talking about product and comparing it to other products we're not going to get anywhere with that so that was how can i deliberately move it off and i started taking my answers for product questions and adding pivots to differentiation to market to vision on each of those answers. So if somebody asked me, well, why is it different than this? I would say, oh, because of this, 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 this. And I think that's important because this market <laughs> is only, you know, 5%. This isn't any one of this market. There's only, you know, 50 million calendar automation tools. And in two years, we believe there's going to be 500 million calendar. Automation. So that's was a, a deliberate pivoting of the way I'm answering a question to get it talking about the money, the market, the opportunity, the big vision, why it's a great business. So that's an example of iterating, iterating, iterating. It is tough to iterate on outbound messaging, but if you're not getting any responses, it hurts, does not hurt at all to change it and change it. And if you get, and this is also probably not something a lot of people are going to do, but I started asking our investors towards the very end, what interested you about Undock? Even before they got to the final check or where mm. did you discover us? Like what made you want to, to reach out? Because I was curious and I want to repeat it. Yeah. So right now in my fundraising, I'm not fundraising. Let me change that. <laughs> right now in the investor discussions that I'm having, they're all going so well, like too well that I'm asking myself, what is it? About? So I'm not even resting on the laurel that these conversations are going well. I'm saying, what is it about these conversations that are going well that I can not only replicate, but refine and make it even better and better and better. And I probably sent 300 messages to my uh, co-founders saying, why do you think this is going well? And they're like, oh, it's because you have a great team and great market. I'm like, that's not it. Yeah. Oh, it's because you have a great product. For I'm like, those are things are all true, but that's not why investors are frothing at the mouth. They've seen companies in the calendaring space. They've seen companies in the future of work or conferencing space. They've definitely seen more accomplished founders than myself. And I'm looking at competitors in the space like, oh, these two guys were at Facebook and they started a calendar company. This guy sold his company to, I'm not going to shout out the company. This guy sold his company to another big company three years ago. And now he started a calendaring company and he's not getting this level of interest. There's something in there about, and I figured it out, by the way, I'm not going to spill the beans, <laughs> about the way I am positioning and talking about the business. And I did not know what it was, but I had so much curiosity about finding out what that yeah. was that I've now been able to write it down put yeah. it into a list and make sure that every single conversation that I have, I reiterate that. Yeah, he operationalized over. it. Yes. Yes. And it's, it's, it's going to be huge. Like I had, I shouldn't say this publicly, but yeah, I had some very good meetings uh, with investors this week and it led me to like want to figure it. And I spent all weekend thinking about it and reading and researching and like, digging yeah. into mental models and frameworks and trying to figure out which ones that I'm using and why it's resonating with investors. You have to go that deep. You have to. Or if you're a Brad, just <laughs> write it on a napkin and get your money.
Black Tech Green Money is a production of Blavity Afrotech. It's produced by Morgan DeBon and me, Will Lucas. With additional production support by Love Beach and Raven Earborn. A special thank you to Micah Davis and Sakara Savan Young. You know, like the wine? Yes, that's his real name. Learn more about my guests and other tech disruptors and innovators at afrotech.com. Go get your money. Peace and love. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.